2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'd like to read just a few verses here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll begin reading with verse 8. Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family-integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information, and may the Lord bless our time together today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. The Apostle Paul says in verse 10, concerning God who raises the dead, it is he who has delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Aren't you thankful this morning to serve a God who has the power to raise from the dead, the power to give life where there is death, a, a God who has the power to overcome death as we see in God manifest in the flesh in the Son of God in Jesus Christ, one who has power over death to conquer death, hell, and the grave. That's the God we serve this morning who has the power to raise from the dead. Now, it's the same power that it took and that God exercised when he created all things. It's the same power. The power that God exercised when he created all things is the power that he exercises and will exercise to raise the dead. It's the same power, in fact, that raises us up out of a death in trespasses and in sins and brings us to a life in Christ, brings us alive, makes us alive in Christ. It's the same power. I want to think about the word deliver for just a moment. That very word is an indication here that, in this case, God comes in and step, steps into like a rushing current of water and, and draws us out. He rescues us. That's what the word deliver means, to rescue. Have you ever noticed that when, when we face dangers of any kind, typically the, the greater the danger is, um, the more we realize, first of all, our own weakness, our own inability to relieve ourselves from the danger. Typically the greater the danger that we face the more we are made to realize that we don't have the power to, to deliver ourselves. And, and therefore, Paul, as Paul says, cannot trust in ourselves. You see, he said we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. When we face grave danger, we know there's only one we can trust, and that is God himself. 
God's power is the only power that can deliver us. God's power is uh, no matter what the obstacle is, no matter what the danger is, no matter what the challenge, the threat, no matter what it is, think back in your life. He has demonstrated his power, his, his ability, and his, his desire, willingness, if you will, his power to relieve us, to deliver us, to rescue us. Not only in the past, but he has demonstrated that same power today, today in the present, in, in, your, in your life today. And that draws hope out, right? We look for him to yet deliver us in the future. So a God of deliverance, a, a God of, who, who rescues us. He's rescued us in the past. He rescues us today. He will rescue us. He will deliver us in time to come. So I want to speak to you this morning about deliverance, about um, salvation. We're, we're going to see there's many reasons that we need deliverance. There's many reasons that we uh, need to be rescued. There's many reasons that we need to be saved. We're going to talk about that word a little bit because we find these two words deliver and save. And although many times those two words come from two different Greek words, yet they carry very similar meanings. In fact, in, in, very, in, in a lot of instances, they, they carry the exact same meaning, these words deliver and save. So, so we're going to look at some scripture with, with some form of these words, deliver, save. It might be saved. It might be saving. It might be salvation. As we, as we read and study scripture, as we seek understanding of scripture, as we seek to interpret scripture, if you will, as we seek to gain an understanding of God's word, um, this principle, context, 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 it is not only a vital principle anytime we're studying the scriptures, but, but it's, this is a principle that's very much highlighted as we look at various passages containing these two words, deliver and save. Deliver simply means to, to rescue, to draw out. The word save, the word save simply means to deliver or to protect. It means to rescue from danger or from destruction. So, so to help us out with this, this principle of context, I recommend that you ask a question. Let's ask the question, delivered from what? Saved from what? It's very important because, again, as I've said, these, there are many reasons we need delivering. There are many reasons we need saving. There are many things from which we need to be delivered and we desire to be saved. It's just going to help us determine the manner of deliverance under consideration. I want to offer two very large um, buckets, if you will, as we, as we think about this word deliverance, this word save. And, and, and one of those buckets we're going to, we're going to refer to as, as eternal, eternal salvation, for example, eternal deliverance. When you see the word save or deliver, and we ask ourselves the question, delivered from what, saved from what, if the answer indicates something that affects eternity, then, then we, we've got, we have good reason to conclude that we're talking about an eternal aspect of salvation, an eternal aspect of deliverance. If, on the other hand, we ask that question, and, and we see that we are being delivered from something uh, here in time, a present danger, then I'm going to call that temporal, 
temporal salvation. It's an experience that we have here in time that doesn't have any bearing on eternity. Okay, so we're going to have these two buckets. So again, let's just jump right in and let's begin with um, Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Let's begin reading just in verse 12. We'll jump right into the middle of a sentence here. It says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul says that the Father has made us meet. The Father hath delivered us from what? Now, this, this verse, we don't have to really take a lot of time to, to answer the question, do we? We're, we're told very plainly, this deliverance is from the power of darkness. Now, if we understand something about the nature of man, we understand that man born in, into this world is born with a nature that is a sinful nature, that it is a depraved nature, that it is a fallen nature, that we are born into this world with a nature that is contrary to spiritual things. In fact, we are born into this world with a nature. Our fallen human nature is at enmity against God. It is, in fact, as Paul describes it in another place, it is a nature that leads us to fulfill the desires of the flesh, to follow after the prince of the power of the air, to follow after darkness rather than light. In fact, you remember when John gave us this uh, description of, of of the, the Word, the eternal Word, the Word with a capital W, that came into the Word, the, the world, the Word that was with God, the Word that was God, the Word that was made manifest, made flesh, dwelt among us. He was that light, and the darkness comprehended it not. Darkness is contrary to the light, and that's the nature that we have. We have a sinful fallen nature that is in darkness. Here Paul says that the Father hath delivered us from the power of darkness. But not only that, he says, hath translated us. It's important that we understand that word. So for just a minute, let's think about the word translated. It means literally to, to transpose, to transfer, to transfer, to remove from one place to another. This indicates an action is taking place, taking place by someone else, in this case, the Father, and it is taking place upon an object, in this case, you, in this case, me, in this case, us. The action is being exerted upon another without the cooperation, without the assistance, without any, particip any active participation on the part of that object. The Father hath translated you Without any active participation on your part, he hath translated you out of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear Son. We can safely conclude, emphatically conclude, that this deliverance is for eternity. That this deliverance has eternal consequences. This is eternal salvation. This is, in fact, the new birth. This is a description of how, of how God borns us of his spirit, of how we are born again, and it is the work of the sovereign work of God. He has 
delivered us from the power of darkness. Let's move to another one. 1 Thessalonians. Move over a couple of pages, pages to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We read this. Let's just, let's just get verse 8. He says, For from you, he says to the church, from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Achaia, but also in every place, your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. In other words, Paul is saying, your, your faith is being spread abroad. And what we're hearing about you in other places, that's just, that just manifests. It manifests what happened, he says, when we were there among you there in Thessalonica. It's just a manifestation of the power of God and how the power of God worked in your lives, worked through the preaching of the gospel as well, and, and had an effect on your life such that you turned from, he says, turned from idols, to turn to, turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, the last verse, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Again, now we have this word delivered. Delivered from what? Well, we're told very plainly. He has delivered us from the wrath to come. Notice, this is past tense. This is something that has been accomplished. Delivered us. Has delivered us. Not, not waiting to be delivered, not hoping to be delivered, not thinking that we're, we're going to be delivered, but we're not real sure. It's not that Jesus has made the attempt to deliver and is leaving the rest of it up to us. Jesus has delivered us from the wrath to come, child of God. Children of God, he has delivered us. It's past tense, it's accomplished, and nothing will ever change that. He has delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come, what? Well, the wrath of God that sin calls for. God hates sin, right? And there will be a, a full reckoning one day. And um, you and I, beloved, you and I as children of God, we've been delivered from that wrath to come. Jesus Christ bore the penalty of our sins on him, on the cross, in him, on the cross, and he delivered us. He died. He received what we deserved. The Father accepted the sacrifice that he made, and the work is done. Amen? The work has been accomplished, and we've been delivered. We are delivered from the wrath to come. So that's a pretty obvious verse as well. That's an eternal deliverance. That's a deliverance that has eternal consequences. Romans chapter 5. I don't know if it reminds you of that, but it, it did me while we were while I was looking at this earlier. Romans chapter five says this, a very familiar passage, Romans chapter five, tells us that in verse six, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans chapter five. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Listen to this. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now listen to what he says. Much more, much more then, being now justified by his blood. Pause there for just a moment. Can't help but bring this point out. Justified. You know what that means? Justified means more than just the fact that you've been forgiven of your sins. Justified means that you have been declared innocent as though you never sinned at all. 
you've not only been forgiven, but you've been justified, how? By his blood. By the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, may I say through the sovereign grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been declared innocent. Wonderful subject for another time. But he says, we shall be saved. That being the case, that being the case that we've been declared innocent by his blood, we shall be saved, what? From wrath through him. Saved from wrath. So very similar passage as we just read there in First Thessalonians. One more, and this is going to be a little different now. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians. Back over there to Second Thess Thessalonians this time, close to where we were just a moment ago. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and let's see what we can learn here, okay? Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Here Paul prays, as part of his prayer, that um, that the word of the Lord would have free course, that the Lord of the, the that the word of the Lord would would run, would literally run in haste, run rapidly as as in a race. Uh, this indicates that, that there's great there's a great deal of exertion. There's, there's energy. There's there's a striving. It, it's spending one's strength. Okay, and and Paul is praying that the word of the Lord would would have free course. But then he asks also, as a part of that prayer, that he would be delivered. He says, we, Paul and Silas and Timothy, and maybe others, but at least those three are together, Paul and Silas and Timothy. Paul asks the church to pray for him that, that they would be delivered, what? From unreasonable and wicked men. Now, here's a deliverance that Paul's praying for. It must be important because Paul's praying. He wants the others to pray about it. Delivered from what? Delivered, in this case, from whom? Unreasonable and wicked men. So here's a deliverance that doesn't have eternal consequences. Here's a deliverance that Paul is asking the church to pray for, to pray about, so that he would experience something. And this experience is here in, his, in time. It was in his life. Here in time, this deliverance had no eternal consequences. He says, for all men have not faith. Now, again, that's kind of another subject for another time. But um, my friends, faith, biblical, scriptural faith, spiritual faith is from God. Faith, spiritually speaking, is a fruit of the Spirit. And not all men have that faith. Now, very quickly, some of you might think, might say, well, I remember reading something over in Romans chapter 12 that says says something to the contrary brother Matt what do you mean that that not all men have faith I thought all men had the ability to to believe if they were just spoken to long enough persuaded preached too long enough taught rightly that they could they could believe that some that everybody has that ability well Paul says that not all men have faith plain and simple and but in Romans chapter 12 Paul says this he says, for I say through the grace of God, grace given unto me to every man that is among you. He says to the church at Rome, he says to those who are beloved of God, that's how he begins the Roman letter, beloved of God, those who are called of God, saints, called to be saints, brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God. Paul says to the children of God there in the church at Rome, he says, 
every man that is among you. Don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to think because God has dealt to every man among you, every one of you brothers and sisters in Christ, every one of you children of God, every one of you beloved of God, every one of you saints of God called to be saints, every one of you who are children of God, God has dealt to every one of you a measure of faith. Now, that's a big difference in saying that everybody in the world has faith. So another subject for another time. Paul pray, asked the church at Thessalonica to pray for him that he would be delivered and be delivered from wicked and unreasonable men because Paul knew that not all men had faith. So there's a deliverance that is temporal. It takes place here in time. It is an experience that we have and in Paul's case, that he desires to have an experience of deliverance. Now, let's, let's go on. Let's, let's find some passages of Scripture now that use the word save. This is very important. Great verse. Matthew 1.21, right? Let's go there real quickly. And here's a verse that we want to we look at. We want to ask the question. Remember, we're asking the question, delivered from what? Saved from what? Matthew 1.21. Very familiar scene. The angel has come to uh, Joseph and has reassured him that the child uh, that is in the womb of his uh, betrothed, his, his wife-to-be Mary, is of the Holy Ghost. And he assures him, he assures Joseph to, to go ahead and take her to be his wife. And in verse 21, the angel says to Joseph, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There's the word save. What do we need to do? We need to ask the question, saved from what? I want to know about this subject of deliverance, salvation. I want to know more. I want to understand more. You need to consider context. How do we establish the context? How do we understand more about the context of a verse of scripture when we see one of these words, deliver or save? We ask the question, saved from what? Well, here it's pretty obvious. The angel says that this child shall come, that shall be born. The child was in the womb of, of Mary. And he says that that child will be named Jesus. And he says that this, this Jesus, this child Jesus, shall save his people, what? From their sins. This is a salvation from sin. This salvation has eternal consequences. This salvation, this deliverance, affects eternity, in other words. It has eternal implications. This is eternal salvation. I think we can see that. I think that's pretty plain to see. Being saved from our sins, we, we are fallen in sin, right? If we're dead in sin, if that never changes, if we are dead in sin, dead in trespasses and in sins, we will one day suffer the consequences of that. If nothing changes, but if something changes, if the Lord changes that about me, about my condition, if he changes that condition, then I will be saved from those consequences. Jesus came into the world to give himself as a sacrifice for sin. The angel says he shall save his people from their sins. So this is an eternal salvation. It goes into the eternal bucket. And thank the Lord 
that we have this emphatic language that this will take place. This shall be done. He shall save his people from their sins. Now, it would maybe take a, a, an, entire, an entire message or more to help us understand more about who his people are. But whoever they are, friends, he saves them from their sins. I submit to you that that people that he saved from, from their sins consists of a number of people greater than any man can number. No man can number this great multitude of people who will one day be around the throne of God singing redemption songs, singing the song of redemption, singing praises unto the Lamb. It's a great multitude of people, and they have been saved from their sins even if they haven't been born into this world yet, my friends, their salvation is just as sure as, as it will, has ever been or will ever be because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I like that, don't you? I hope you do. That's the truth of the matter. So let's go to Matthew chapter 8 and let's see this word again. Matthew chapter 8 and we find a very familiar scene and we see that the disciples are out in the sea. We looked at this not long ago. But I want, to, I want to think about a little bit different angle on this. Matthew chapter 8, the disciples are in a boat in the sea. Jesus is there with them in the boat in the sea, and there's a great tempest that arises. Uh, the ship began to be covered with the waves, but Jesus was asleep. And the disciples come to Jesus in verse 25, and it says they, they came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. There's the word save. Saved from what? What's the question we need to ask? Saved from what? I heard all of you say it just now. Saved from what? That's the question you just asked in your mind. Well, saved from perishing. And saved from, from perishing because the boat was being overcome by the waves. They, were being, they wanted to be delivered from death. They wanted to be delivered from from what was about what it looked like was about to happen, and that was that they were about to perish in the boat, in the storm, in the sea. Lord save us, we perish. This was not anything to do with eternal matters. This was an experience that their uh, frantically crying out would take place right now. They needed saving right now. This is a salvation. This is a temporal deliverance that they cried out for to be saved from perishing. That seems pretty obvious too, right? Seems obvious enough. But these are examples that we need to we need to look at so that we'll understand a little bit better, I think, I hope, uh, of how to to interpret scripture. And when we see this word these words deliver or save because their meanings are very much the same and in oftentimes they are, are identical. What about Matthew chapter 14? That's another uh, very similar to what we just read. The disciples are out there in a ship again. This time Jesus is not with them, but uh, the, there is a storm this time again in the sea, and the disciples are, are being tossed about in the midst of the sea in the ship, and they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. You remember Peter, they're all afraid. They're not sure what to think about it. Peter cries out, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. That's verse 28, Matthew 14. And Jesus says to Peter, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You remember that? 
But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. Very similar situation as we saw with the disciples in the ship not long ago. Peter simply says, Lord, save me. That's all the time that he had to pray. Save save me from what? Save Peter from what? Save Peter from sinking into the water and drowning. Here is a, a salvation, a deliverance that Peter desired right now very quickly so that he would be saved from drowning. A temporal experience, a temporal salvation, a temporal deliverance. Now, now for the sake of time, let's go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. I hope you see the pattern. I hope you are, are seeing very clearly uh, what we're getting at here. It's a very important principle, a very, very important practice, I think, that we need to, to get into as we study Scripture. There are uses of the word save, save, salvation, that don't have an effect or don't have eternal consequences, eternal implications. Now, let me say this before we go much further, and we're going to Acts chapter 2. Friends, if we are delivered, if you've been delivered in the past, if you're being delivered right now, if you're going to be saved one day, in whatever manner, whether it's eternity or whether it's here in time, if it's an eternal aspect of deliverance, of salvation, if it is a temporal experience, a deliverance that you are experiencing now, friends, it's all from the Lord. Oftentimes in Scripture, we'll see where the Lord calls upon us to do something, believe. He calls on us to, to meet some kind of condition sometimes. And based on whether or not we meet that condition, then we will experience the promise. We'll experience the deliverance. We'll experience that type of salvation, that temporal experience of being saved in some way. We're going to see that now. And if we don't meet the condition, then we won't experience the deliverance. Now, having said that, there are still, there are times where you are delivered. I am delivered in spite of myself, right? You've experienced that. And so all aspects of, of salvation, of being saved, anytime we are delivered from danger, friends, it's of the Lord, whether you and I were aware of it at the time, whether the Lord called on us to do something in, 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 in response, no matter, it all comes from the Lord. But there are times that the Lord calls on us to do something in order to experience a particular type of deliverance. Acts chapter 2, you remember this scene very well. The day of Pentecost. And Peter and the others, they, they've preached the gospel. Peter preaching here, we have recorded part of his sermon. He preaches the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He points out to those Jews there that it was by their wicked hands they took and, and, and crucified, slain. They, they, they slew the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jesus who was the, the very Son of God, which was clearly demonstrated through powers, through, through signs and miracles. And so those who were listening, some of them were convicted. They were pricked in the heart and they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? They wanted to do something. They, wanted, they knew they needed to do something in, because of the conviction that they felt. Friends, I'll, I'll tell you this. The fact that they were convicted is an indication that God had already changed their hearts because one who is dead in trespasses and in sins will never be convicted of their sins. They might, be, they might feel some type of, 
of uh, fear and, and they fear the consequences they fear that they may fear uh, getting caught they may but they don't feel conviction over their sins conviction of sin indicates that the uh, person knows feels that they're guilty they know that they're they're guilty they may not know much more than that but a, a person who is convicted of their sins is convicted only because they have been born of the spirit of god and here are people who want to know and peter tells them what to do but then after peter tells them what to do repent and be baptized every one of you he goes on to say this in verse 40 he says and with many other words listen to this now Many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. There's our word save. Saved from what? Saved from this untoward generation. You know what that word untoward means? Physically speaking, it, it, it means to be warped or to be crooked. Spiritually speaking, it means perverse, wicked. And Peter, first of all, he tells them what to do in as, a, as, a, as a result or in response to the conviction of sin that they're feeling. But then he doesn't stop there. After he tells them what to do there, he says, he, he says many other things to them. He exhorts them further. And he exhorts them to save themselves. Now, friends, God has never called on you. He's never called on me. He has never called on any human being in all of the history of the world to save themselves in order to get to heaven. Never. Never has, never will. It's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. That's why Christ came, because we couldn't do that. So we know that Peter is not telling them to save themselves in order to get to heaven. He is telling them to do something, to do these things, all of these things that he is is. And we don't know what all, all everything that Peter taught. He, he, it just says with many other words. With these other words that Peter uh, preaches to them, he exhorts them to save themselves from this untoward generation. It reminds me of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians to the, to the church at Corinth, to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Come out from among the world. Come out from among this culture. Come out from this, this wicked and perverse generation, the, the culture around you, the world around you. Separate yourself from that. You've been convicted of your sins. Peter has told them what to do about that. Now he exhorts them further, come on. Come on out. Separate yourself from the manner of life that you've known up to this time. Save yourselves. That's a temporal salvation. That is an experience that if they'll do this, they will, they will enjoy. It's something that they will experience. It is a deliverance they, that they will experience by separating themselves from this untoward generation. That goes in the temporal bucket, okay? So we're, remember now, we're asking the question, save from what? Let's go to another one. Romans chapter, you know we, we like to go to Romans chapter 8, don't you? Well, let's go there, because um, we do like to go there. And Romans chapter 8 is a very, very important passage of Scripture. But here we want to look at this word saved, and it's found in verse 24. So for the sake of time, let's jump on Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Paul says, for we are saved by hope. 
But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? We are saved by hope. Saved from what? Well, now we look at that verse and it's not immediately clear, right? We need a good understanding of what hope is, first of all. And we don't have a lot of time for that right now. But we understand biblical hope is not a wishful thought. It's not wishful thinking. Biblical hope, scriptural hope, spiritual hope is an earnest expectation of the soul. It is something we fully are, we are fully convinced will indeed take place, but it remains hope because, because it hasn't taken place yet, right? Well, Paul says we're, we're saved by that. We are delivered by that. Delivered from what? Well, I go back up into the context of several verses up. Paul is talking about being delivered delivered in our affliction, delivered from fear. You read the context. Paul is talking about us being delivered in our sufferings as we suffer for the sake of righteousness, as we suffer for the sake of Christ. We experience afflictions, but Paul says we have this earnest expectation of better things to come, and that earnest expectation, that hope is focused on the fullness of our redemption, the fullness of our adoption, in fact, the redemption of these very bodies. That's what our hope is focused on. That hasn't taken place yet. The resurrection hasn't come yet. We're, our hope focuses our attention on that, and it delivers us in our present afflictions. Amen? You agree with that? You understand that? You've probably experienced that. I hope you have. Delivered from affliction, delivered from fear, delivered from the sufferings that we um, experience for the sake of righteousness. Two more. These are very important. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're, we're jumping into the middle of the passage, but for the sake of time, it's necessary. Verse 21 says, the like figure. Now you'll see that Peter has described what took place over there in the days of Noah when there was eight souls in the ark. And by being in the ark, they were delivered from the destruction that came by the water. The water caused destruction. But for those eight souls, Noah and his family, being in the ark, they were delivered up above that because they were where God told them to be. Now, there's a lot in that and for another time. But he says the like figure, an example, a shadow, a figure. Whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Baptism saves you, my friend. Saves you from what? We need to ask the question. We've asked the question with every other passage. We need to ask the question here. How does baptism save you? We're not left in the dark. Peter, although it's in parentheses, he says this. First of all, he says what this salvation is not. He says it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. The deliverance that you experience in baptism by obeying the gospel command of baptism, the deliverance that you experience is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. It's not the putting away of your sin. Every reference in all of scripture to the filth of the flesh is a reference to sin, sinful nature and sinfulness. Baptism, the deliverance we experience in that is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. God has commanded it. It's something you, you can't, ex you, you'll experience something that you can experience no other way. But
But Peter says, it's not the putting away the filth of the flesh. It's not the putting away of our sins. It's not the cleansing in an eternal sense from our sins. But what is it? What does it do? He says, it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. When you submit yourself to baptism, you have answered. You have received something because you have acted out of a good conscience toward God, a good conscience that only God himself uh, could place within you because he has already born you of of his spirit because you are already born again, because you already have eternal life. Now what you experience in baptism is an answer of that good conscience. And it's a sweet deliverance. It's a sweet salvation, but it's not salvation for heaven. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, a very familiar passage. We'll close with this. Paul reminds Timothy that there are afflictions of the gospel. Whether you're preaching the gospel, whether you're trying to live by the gospel, there are afflictions to come. And he says, But be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us, who hath saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here's a salvation that God determined, that God provided for, that God ensured even before the world began. And it's the salvation of your soul, my friend. That is eternal salvation. That goes into the eternal bucket. We have this word deliver. We have this word save. God has delivered. God is delivering you now. And at this very time, at this very moment, in this present day, God will deliver. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God of deliverance, a God of salvation of every kind? And if you've been delivered in any way, give God the glory. Praise him for his marvelous grace. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you again for listening. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation located near Arab, Alabama. We invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org. That's rockymountpbc.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you is our prayer.